Have you ever noticed how easy it is in our search for the deep and profound meanings of life to uh, miss the obvious at times? One of my favorite stories was uh, sent to me again, uh, and so it's kind of a reminder that this would probably be applicable to what the message is for this morning. But the story goes that uh, Sherlock Holmes and his trusty sidekick, Dr. Watson, went on a camping trip, and after a good meal and a long day, they lay down at night and they went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes woke and nudged his faithful friend, and he said, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. To which Holmes says, well, what does that tell you? He says, Watson pondered for a moment and said, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. He said, astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo, and horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant in comparison. And meteorologically, it looks like it's going to be a pretty nice day tomorrow. He turns to Holmes and says, Holmes, what does it tell you? He says, you know, Watson, you can be such an idiot at times. Because when I look up and see all these millions and millions of stars, it tells me someone stole our tent. Yes, it is possible to miss the obvious. Last month, uh, while I was at spring training, I had a conversation with a player who asked the following question that I believe relates to our opening story. He said, Chuck, let me ask you something. He said, why do I find such hostility towards Christianity, specifically with Jesus Christ, by those who interview me? It's as if I can talk about anything or anybody... The more bizarre, the more fashionable. It says, but if I mention Jesus in an interview, it's as, it's as if I said something that absolutely was totally reprehensible. I had another player who said, he had a fan yell to him. He said, I love you. You're the greatest ball player in the world. He got a little excited about it, and then it was followed by this. But would you stop talking so much about Jesus? Why is that? I turned to him and said, well, consider the obvious. And it's the obvious that we so often miss. So consider the obvious that sometimes we overlook. You know, the Christian faith, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, tells all of humanity that we're all guilty before God. That we're guilty. The Bible says that we're all sinners. In our culture today, no one wants to talk about sin. But sin, by definition, is falling short of the standard of God, the glory of God, the holiness of God. In fact, the Bible defines it as, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That none are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. Each one of us has turned away and gone our own way. We're all in rebellion against God. So if you stop and think about that, that's not a message that people want to hear said, and without a change in condition that we are eternally condemned, eternally guilty before God. And there will come a day where we will be judged by God for sin and then we will be separated from Him for all of eternity in a place He calls hell. So that's bad news to people who live in a world and a culture today that wants to believe that they're okay. I'm okay, you're okay. I was at a business office this past week and I was talking to the gal who was there, the receptionist secretary, And she's going through some difficult times in her life and she's in the midst of a divorce. And she said, you know, 
you know, and we've had conversations, she says, you know, I've had a bad experience in the past with Christianity, with Christians. She says, and I believe that there's a God, but, you know, but I try to live a good life. I try to do good things. And, you know, when you hear that, you realize that God says that's absolutely impossible because only God is good and God determines what is good and none of us are good, not one of us. And anything that we do, God says, any attempt that we make to try to be good before God, God says it's as if it's filthy rags in His presence. It's disgusting in His sight. That it's impossible, God says, to be good. God's message is to repent, to turn from sin and turn back to God, to ask for forgiveness and call upon His mercy. To recognize what he says is true, that you know what, everything you say about me is true. There's nothing good in me at all. In fact, you know me better than anybody. And I can put up a front in front of people, and some people can think I'm good, but you know what, the people who really know me know that there's a dark side to me. You know, it's the old cartoon, you know, the little, you know, the little good angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other shoulder. And there isn't a person in here who can say in good conscience before God that that's not true of your life. Because there are times where you are absolutely nasty and you even scare yourself. Right? You're smiling because you know it's true. It may have been this morning on the way here. <laughs> but see, you know, and that's, that's bad news. But the good news is God says is that we can repent, that we can call upon Him for forgiveness and, and, and plead for mercy, and that He loves us despite ourselves. And, and even that while we were sinning and in rebellion against God, He loved us and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world that He would die on a cross for the sins of those who would believe, sufficient for all, applicable only to those who believe. And that three days later, He would raise from the dead. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but through Me. He said that we must enter by the narrow gate, for broad is the way that ends to destruction. And so if you stop and think about the Christian message or the gospel of Jesus Christ, in essence, when you mention the name of Jesus, there's a reason that people recoil. Because the message of Jesus Christ is one that is very narrow. And we live in a world today that, you know, boy, you're so narrow-minded. But you know what? Where God is narrow, we must also be narrow. Where God is, you know, a little extending in His grace and in areas that, you know, sometimes we major in the minors and minor in the majors, but the reality of it is, is this, where God is narrow, and Jesus says, you can't come unto God the Father but through me. That's the only way. When we mention the name of Jesus, the reason that the world hates that name is because it blows the theory completely up that all roads lead to heaven and we can do whatever we want to do and at the end of the day, God has to accept each and every one of us because we're sincere in our approach. As we saw the last time we were together, we can be sincere in our approach and be sincerely wrong. The message of Jesus Christ is a very narrow message to say the least. And that is the message that God wants the world to hear and that God wants the world to know because it is the only saving message that keeps one from an eternal destiny apart from the living and loving God. So when we think about that and you talk to people, you realize it's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God offered to those who would accept Him and receive Him, speaking of Jesus Christ, as the only way to forgiveness. Think about that message. Why do you think the world is offended by that? Because it closes the door on any other belief system or any other way possible that one can find forgiveness and enter into the presence of God. 
is exclusive, it is narrow, and there is no other way. And we live in a world that wants to believe that whatever way they concoct is a way that God has to accept. And it's just flat out wrong, and it's not true. See, all of that, that message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is offensive to the pride of man that says that I will not submit to the plan of God. I will not humble myself to God's plan. I do not need God. I am my own God. And that's the original sin of man. Where God says, you will do it this way. Man says, no, I won't. I'll do it the way I want. And God said, if you do it the way you want, that's called sin. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, can you understand why there's such hostility? See, in our ongoing study through the book of Acts, we come to a passage that not only helps us understand why we will encounter hostility when telling some about God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, but also how to deal with such anger and persecution in a way that is pleasing to God. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 4, we're going to pick up the account in verse 1. We will learn of the hostility that comes with telling others that the only way to heaven, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, the Lord. Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 1, we read these words. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we were on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands before you in good health. For he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which men must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. It says, But when they had ordered them to go outside of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. 
And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man, who was, more, for the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. In this section of, um, in this section of Acts, as well as chapters 5, 7, 8, and 12, records the kind of opposition that Christians will face in the world as we preach the fact that there is only one way to heaven. It says, as we'll see, that message in this passage preached by the Apostle Peter resulted in great personal um, uh, affliction regarding hostility and persecution. And as I mentioned, the general tendency in our culture is to believe that, you know what, whatever one wants to believe, that's okay. And if we all believe what we want to believe and, you know, we're all sincere about it, then at the end of the day, God's going to accept us all and that's just the way that it is. But the problem is, as, as we see, the answer to this, of course, from the Bible is that there is only one way to heaven and that there is no other way and that there's no name or authority given to men by which men can be saved. There is no other way. It's very exclusive. Therefore, if we intend to preach that message, and by the way, it's not an option, I want you to stop and think about something for a second. If indeed the Word of God is true and the plan of God is accurate and the only way to heaven is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, and those who do not believe in Him or accept Him will end up judged for sin and condemned to an eternity separated from God in hell. If indeed the Bible record is accurate, and that is truth, we have no choice but to preach that message, to warn men of the judgment of God and the eternal consequences of the fact that the wages of sin is death, physical death, eternal death, separation from God, spiritual death for all of eternity but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ and Him alone. We do not have an option. At best, if we do not share that message, it is unloving. At worst, it is the most hateful, spiteful thing that we can do to people that we say that we love around us. To allow them to continue to go on, deceive, to believe that somehow God's got to accept them on their terms is the most unloving and hateful thing that any of us can do. We say that we love our family. We say that we love our friends. We say that we love those who work for us and those who work with us. And yet we never warn them of the consequences of sin. The Bible says there could be no more unloving thing than that. And what's interesting to me is that the world claims or or wants to to, to, uh, call us unloving by warning them of the reality of the the consequences of sin. How, How unloving Christians are when indeed the most unloving thing that any of us can do is to remain silent when we know the truth. So if we're going to preach that message, and that we must, we must also be aware of the fact that there are going to be people that we talk to that come in contact with us who are going to hate what it is that we have to say. And so as we look at this passage, I'm going to share with you some things that that, uh, kind of stand out, kind of jump out. Um, Just as a reminder, uh, there's a a cry room upstairs that... uh, um, just as a reminder, I don't know why I would bring that up, but, um, but there's a room upstairs that, you know, if you've got a kid that's with you that continues to talk and want to share with you and, and do all those things, that you can go up into that room and you guys can talk, you can go crazy, you can jump off the wall, and you can hear everything that I'm saying, and, and the thing that I want to praise God about is, I can't hear a thing that you'll be doing. And uh, so, and, and neither can anybody else. So it's just time to tape that in mind. We'll all close our eyes for a second so you don't get embarrassed, so you can kind of stand up right now and head up there because... Um, I want to make sure that uh, there isn't any confusion as to uh, the essence of the message. All right? Number one, 
Notice the conflict that we all experience in life. Um, maybe you're feeling that right now, a little conflicted about whether to get up or not or just tape that kid's mouth shut. Um, <laughs> but we're going to notice the, uh, the conflict that we have here in verses 1 through 7. Um, Number one, notice that they say, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains and the temple guard, the Sadducees came upon them. There was anger that was expressed by the fact that they were standing before them and they were preaching the message that we're going to discuss. And it says that they, speaking of, uh, they were encountered by three groups in verse 1. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But you know, the thing that stood out as I was going through this is that it says that uh, as they were speaking to the people, and I got excited about this because, you know, the gospel message that we've been entrusted, what I just shared with you, the reality of sin, the reality of judgment, the reality of condemnation, the reality of God's love, the reality of God's mercy, the reality of God's forgiveness, the reality of God's love in sending Jesus Christ to, to take our place on the cross so that you and I don't have to be accountable for sin if we would believe in God's plan and in God's way, specifically that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that they were speaking to the people. It wasn't just Peter who was entrusted with that message. There was Peter who was speaking to the people. John was with him. John was speaking to the people. And I've got to believe that the lame man was speaking quite loudly to the people as he stood up, having never walked from his mother's womb. Forty years he laid before them in an infirm position where he had never walked before. And this miraculous healing of this man as he stood up, and the Bible says he was dancing and leaping and praising God, that he also was speaking to the people. Those of us who have come to faith in Christ and have been entrusted with the message, we have a responsibility. This isn't just for the, quote, professionals, those who are in the business. This is for all of us who have come to faith and know that we have been touched by God's forgiveness. The Bible says we've been called from darkness into the light of God that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us from darkness into light. Every one of us who have experienced the mercy of God have a responsibility to share with those who God brings into our presence exactly what it is that God has done in our life through, through faith in Christ. They were all speaking to the people. It wasn't just the pastors who were doing it. It wasn't just the religious professionals who were doing it. It were the people that were entrusted with the message they were proclaiming and all of them were called by Jesus. And you shall be my witnesses. Those of you who have come to faith and trust in Christ are to be a witness to testify of the goodness of God in your own personal life. All of us are commissioned by, God, by Christ's authority. All authority, he says, has been given unto me. Go into the world and preach the gospel. The good news of faith in Jesus Christ. All of us are to do that. It says that they were encountered by three groups in verse 1. The text tells us that these groups were, notice, they were greatly disturbed in, in verse 2. They were greatly disturbed as to what was going on. There was hostility and it reminds us that we will experience the same type of hostility as we go into the world telling people about faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. You know, what's amazing to me is that the hostility that, you know, that, that I was mentioning in my opening about you know, athletes who tried to share their faith with those who would ask them questions about you know, why are you the way you are, what makes you tick, and, and you know, it's like, hey, I can't help but to tell you about Jesus because He is the reason that I am who I am today. And the hostility that's there and the hostility that's growing will continue to grow. And you know what? We shouldn't be surprised by that. What's amazing to me is how often I'm surprised by sometimes the adverse reaction or the adverse response that I get when I try to tell people about Jesus. I'm the naive one. And I'll tell you why I'm so naive. Because if anything, 
we should be surprised when people don't react adversely. And the other side of it is this. We've got to take a good hard look at the message that we're sharing with people because if there is no adverse reaction, if there is no hostility, if there is no persecution, I have to ask myself, what message is it that I'm sharing with people? Because this message is offensive. It is offensive to people to tell them, listen, the Bible says that you are guilty before God. That is offensive. In fact, the people that are trying to live good lives, when you say you're offensive to God, they say you're offensive to me. That should offend them. The first time that somebody said to me, hey, you know what, you're a sinner and you're offensive to God and you're guilty and you're condemned before God. You know what's interesting is a part of me knew that what they were saying was true because I knew me. Another part of me said, you don't know me well enough to tell me that. And yet God knows us all intimately. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that He weaved us in our mother's wombs that before yet we had a day, He knows every day that's ordained for us. He knows every hair in our head. He is intimately, the Bible says, acquainted with our ways. And the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So even as you sit here today and as you listen to these words, the Spirit of God, God Himself, knows your very thoughts. It's offensive. And if we do not offend people by that message, we're not preaching the right message. And I'll tell you why. Turn with me to the book of John for a second. In John chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Turn back one book. Jesus warned His followers to expect persecution. In John 15, verse 18, we read these words. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated Me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted Me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept My word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for My name's sake, because they don't know the One who sent Me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Remember the last time that we met, I told you the difference between ignorance and stupidity? That many times we do things in ignorance, not knowing the truth, thinking that what we're doing is sincere and that it's right, only to discover later that we can oftentimes be wrong in our sincerity. The difference between ignorance, which that is, and stupidity, is that once we understand the difference and we continue to reject the truth, then we're stupid. That's just the way that it is. Once a person experiences the consequences of sin and yet continues to do it, it's not because of ignorance they experience consequence any longer. It's because they're stupid and they haven't changed their behavior. And see, what Jesus is saying to us is this. He's saying that, listen, you know, if I wouldn't have spoken to them, and notice what it also says in verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did. If I wouldn't have done the things that I was sent to do, the signs that pointed me uh, to be the Savior of the world, if I had not opened the eyes of the blind and raised the lame who had never walked and opened the ears of the deaf and, or raised those who had been dead from the dead, if I had never done those things, they wouldn't know who I am. But if they were looking for me and they were supposedly waiting for the day that I would come, the Savior of the world, then the things that I did that they would have recognized and they would have received me and they would have accepted me as Lord and Savior. But they rejected me. 
So they didn't reject me out of ignorance. They rejected me out of stupidity. Just as the world does today when we share the truth with them, there's no other way to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And when we share that message, message with people, if they don't receive it, it's not because they're ignorant, it's because they're stupid, and they continue to reject God and His mercy and His love and His forgiveness. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, but they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. All of God's word pointed to Jesus and they were supposedly searching the scriptures to see if he really was who he said he was and yet they were guilty of doing the very things that they read would happen. They hated me without cause. I didn't do anything wrong. I was innocent. Even Pilate, a non-Jew, a secular human being, a Gentile said, I can find no guilt in this man. And he wanted to let him go. He wanted to wash his hand of the whole thing and send him loose. But they cried out, crucify him. We hate him. He's claiming to be the Savior and He's not. He's claiming to be one with the Father and He's not. We hate His guts. Kill Him! It says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness of Me. And you will bear witness also because you have been with Me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. Think about that. The sincerity of, of, of being wrong. There's an hour that's coming that people will think that they're doing what's good before God by silencing those who tell the world that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We live in a world that's pretty similar to that, don't we? If we can just shut Christians up, because they're the only ones who claim exclusive understanding of truth. Anybody and everybody else can promote whatever it is that they want to believe, and we're not offended by that because they give us room for us to believe what we want as well. But those Christians, they say the only way to be forgiven by God is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. We have to come up with a way to shut them up because they're causing too much problems in the world. We want to believe what we want to believe, when we want to believe it, how we want to believe it, and we'll allow you to believe the same thing as long as you don't tell us that we're wrong, we won't tell you wrong, and we'll all get along, and we'll all sing yeah, yeah, yeah together. See, but the anger that they received is an anger that was warned. Jesus said, hey, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And I'm telling you these things up front so you don't stumble and think that the message that you're sharing is somehow wrong because it's God's truth. Remember that. The apostles taught the certainty of persecution as well. Paul wrote to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Peter added, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His footsteps. Christians who live godly Christ-centered lives will inevitably come into contact, conflict with the world system that says we hate you for who you are, we hate you for what you say, and we hate you for how you live. We will come in conflict with a world system that doesn't buy into that. And I believe that a day is coming and is rapidly approaching where it will get worse and not better. We have been very fortunate and very blessed in our country to have had the freedom to be able to proclaim that there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ, the Lord. But the day is coming and we sense it and we see it because the hostility that's there, the persecution that is there is going to magnify and it's going to increase 
And when that magnifies and increases, there will be many of us who begin to question whether or not we should continue to share that message. I spoke with a gentleman not long ago who was from a European country. And I asked him if he believed in God. And he said, you know, I never really had much use for God. Never really thought much about God. And I said, why is that? He said, because the people that I knew that believed in God all got in trouble. They were put in prison. Their homes were taken from them. They were fired from their jobs. They couldn't couldn't make a livelihood. So my connection with God was this. God equals trouble. Stay away from God, stay away from trouble. And you know what? And that's the message that the world wants us to know. You stay away from God, you'll keep out of trouble. But it's only temporary because the trouble that God says that we'll be in, if we stay away from God and we refuse to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, our trouble is just beginning because it'll last for eternity. What message do you want to believe? Temporary trouble and persecution for those at faith in Christ or eternal damnation and condemnation before God. I don't know about you, temporary affliction always sounds a lot better to me than permanent and eternal. Think about it, it may sound different to you. Three groups of people, it's important that we understand who they are. Go back to Acts chapter 3, there's three groups of people that are mentioned here that hated, uh, hated them because of the message that they were, uh, they were preaching. And the irony of all of it is, notice who they are, as they were speaking to the people, the priests were the first group, these were the ones who were in charge of religious, quote, the religious people, charge of the sacrifices in the temple, they hated what Peter and John were preaching because what they were saying in essence was this, you're no longer needed. You don't have to make sacrifices anymore for sin on behalf of people. Why? Because God made the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. You're no longer necessary. Jesus Christ fulfilled the sacrificial system where God had said you must make sacrifices for your sin, you must shed blood for the remission of sin, and God fulfilled that promise by sending Christ to the cross to die in our place for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so Jesus fulfilled everything that God was trying to help them to see and understand that the Messiah would suffer, He would be persecuted, He would die, He would shed His blood, and that was a fulfillment of the sacrificial system. Now the wonderful thing about it is this, as Peter and John were preaching that message, and that truth that the final sacrifice has been made. Jesus said, it is finished. There's nothing else left to do but trust in me. The religious system, the priest said, hey, if that message is true, we don't have a gig anymore. We're out of work. We want people to believe that they have to come to us so that we can make sacrifices for their sin on their behalf. But Jesus says, come unto me. You don't have to go to them anymore. There is now no mediator between God and man, only one, and that is Christ Jesus. You don't have to go to a priest to confess your sin. You don't have to go to a religious person to confess your sin. You can go directly to God Himself and we have access through faith in Jesus Christ. Because of Him, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and ask for it in our time of need. You can go to God anywhere, at any time, any place if you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and He hears your prayer. And if you confess, He forgives you and cleanses you from it. You don't have to go through a middleman. Now, if you're a middleman, you don't like that message. You're cut out of the loop. And so they hated them because of what they were saying. There was the captain of the temple guard. They were in charge of the Levitical priests and they were in charge of the guards, the Levitical guard for the temporary. They hated what was going on because they liked everything nice and calm and smooth. 
What happens when multitudes of people start to assemble in a place is they start to get worried because their job was to protect the temple area from mobs or riots or anything like that. And when you see all these people jacked up and excited about this fact that this guy who had never walked for 40 years was now walking and leaping and praising God and all these multitudes of people came to see what was going on and you're a guard and you're standing there with your flashlight, you know, going, how are we going to stop them? They didn't like it. The third group are the Sadducees. They didn't like it. And they didn't like it for a whole different set of reasons. They didn't like it because they were the liberals of the day. They believed man to be the master of his own fate. They didn't believe in the sovereignty of God. They didn't believe in the plan of God. They didn't believe in anything other than the fact that they believed and they accepted only the law of Moses. They they, they rejected the doctrine of future state, which was that the Messiah would come and he would establish his kingdom upon this earth. They rejected that. And most importantly, they rejected this, the resurrection of the dead. They taught and firmly believed that people will not be raised from the dead. Now stop and think about this. Peter and John are going around telling everybody that this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it was in his authority or by his name that this lame man was healed. So if you're a Sadducee and you're running around telling everybody, no, there's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead, and you've been able to get away with that for a long time because no one's ever been raised from the dead, pretty safe to teach that until somebody's raised from the dead. And then you got a problem. you either got to rethink what you've been telling everybody and say, yes, we were sincere, but wrong. Our bad. We're open to truth. But see, what did all three of these groups have in common? Pride. They weren't open to God's truth. They weren't open and teachable. They didn't want to hear the truth. They wanted to continue to believe that which they manufactured in their own minds. Because it's humbling to say, you know what, I'll tell you what, it was humbling for me at a point in my life to say, you know what, everything I believed up to this point is wrong. Everything I believed and everything that I did up to this point in my life has been wrong. I thought if I went to church, then if I did it enough times, that God would you know, grade me on the curve. I thought if I did enough good things and it outweighed the bad things that I did, then I'd be okay. Everything I believed was just blown out of the water when someone said, you can't do enough good things. You are guilty of sin because you're a sinner. Everything I believed up to that point was blown out of the water and I either had to accept that truth or continue to deny it and live in my own existence and in my own lies. I'll believe what it is I want to believe about myself. I don't care what God has to say. And what do they all have in common? That's the pride of man that says, I will not submit to the authority of God in my life. I will not believe you when you tell me that I'm guilty of sin. Just as Adam did not believe when God said, if you eat of the tree of that apple, that you shall die. That's where it all started. Because God says that through Adam's sin entered into the world. And because of his sin, we're all born. We're all guilty before God. See, they were, they were angry. They were angry for a bunch of different reasons. But notice also the word says that they came upon them. In verse 1, the word come upon them means that they struck out at them in hostility. It was as if they were laying in wait for them and you were walking down the street and they jumped out from behind a door and it says with hostile intent. Man, they came upon them. They hated them for what they were telling people. The priest hated them because that meant that they were out of work. The temple guard hated them because it meant that they had to work. And the Sadducees hated them because they meant everything they'd been telling people was now exposed as a lie and it wasn't true. 
And they came upon him and said, hey, you know what? We've got to shut you people up. And then and, and we get so surprised when, oh, they didn't really, they were, so, they were mean to me when I started telling them about Jesus. That's so strange. I thought that, you know, wow, that they'd really... Think about this too. Notice what it says. They laid hands upon them. It says, being greatly disturbed because they were preaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They laid hands on them and they put them in jail until the next day for it was already evening. It says they arrested them. They arrested them. They threw them into jail. They couldn't try them because it was already too late to have a trial. They had to wait till the next day. But you know, it's fascinating. The only time in the history, in history that that was violated was they hated Jesus so much they tried him at night. That's how much they hated Jesus and the message that he proclaimed. The, they, the law said you had to wait till morning and they said we don't even care about the law anymore. Man, we're out of control. We're going to try him right now. Think about this. It says that many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. And it came about that the, the next day the rulers and scribes and, and elders gathered together and all the high priests. And, and you know, the, the inquiry started. But what's fascinating as I read through the message and read through the rest of this passage is, you know why they hated them? They hated them because they were untrained. That they weren't one of them. See, and the way the power groups work, work is this. And that is, if you're not one of us, then we're going to shut you up because we don't want you getting credit for things that we want credit for. They were untrained and uneducated. The way it works in our world today is, you know, we have a religious system. The religious system works this way and it happens in a lot of churches and that's this. We're not going to consider anybody for a position unless they meet the criteria that we lay out. And whatever that criteria is. You've got to go to a certain seminary that we all agree is the best seminary. You've got to take the certain courses that we agree that you should take. You know, the world's not open to God gifting people and God leading people and God using people and working through people because those who are in the system say, that can't happen because you're not one of us. See, there's nothing new about this. The religious rulers couldn't stand them because they were untrained, uneducated, stupid fishermen that stunk like fish going around preaching the truth that they were supposed to be the ones doing, which they weren't. And so God used those who were willing to be used by God to proclaim the message of God's love and His salvation through Christ. See, God's not limited by educated people. God uses people who have come to faith in Christ, then gifts them accordingly. And then when you say, here I am, Lord, use me, He goes, fine, then let's go out and let's tell the world about me and the truth that there's only one way to heaven through Jesus. These religious leaders hated these guys because they weren't one of them. And they, got, and they were deciding what they should say and what they shouldn't say. And we'll see that as we go through it. They laid hands on them. And, they were, and also on top of all of that, they were from Galilee. And often they said, nothing good comes from Galilee. Where are you from, boy? Galilee? Nothing good comes from Galilee. And you're untrained, you're uneducated, and you stink like fish. So how in the world could God use you? Certainly He's using us. We're educated. We don't smell like fish. And we're from some cool places. See, but God's not limited by that. The major source of irritation, as I mentioned, was they were preaching resurrection from the dead. Now, what's, what, what I love about this is this. There's also an acceptance that takes place. Notice that in verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Many believed. Many didn't. Some did. Some didn't. Some received Christ and believed the message. 
Others rejected it, hated them, persecuted them, laid hands on them, came upon them violently, threw them into prison. But you know what the awesome thing is this? Notice this. It says the number came to about 5,000, which was added uh, to the 3,000, so 2,000. Let me ask you something. Would it be worth a night in jail and some persecution to see that 2,000 people would come to faith in Christ because you were, uh, that you were faithful to tell them about sin, judgment, condemnation, God's love, His mercy, His forgiveness, if they would trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone? Would you, would, would you be willing to spend the night in jail that 2,000 people would come to faith in Christ? How many would? How about one person? How about if one person came to faith in Christ? See, it doesn't really matter if all the angels of heaven would rejoice and, and, and sing praises to God when one person comes to faith in Christ. How much more so when 2,000 people did? And here's my encouragement to all of us, including myself. As we share the message that there's only one way to heaven, there are going to be those who reject that message and there are going to be those who accept it. And you know what keeps me going? Is that I don't know which is which until after I share. And if you don't share, you'll never know. But it's only after we share that we find out what the response is. And you know what's exciting is sometimes the response by those who are the most hostile are those who are closest to the kingdom of God. Because other people could care less. They're not even thinking about spiritual things. It's the person that's thinking about spiritual things and starting to be convicted about sin in their life and judgment in their life and know what you're saying is true. They're the ones that are going to be the most hostile. But you know what? Sometimes they're the closest ones to the kingdom of God. Isn't that great? The accusation that came out was very simple. And that accusation is that the most powerful people in Israel accused them of not having any authority to do what they did. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things as we, as we move forward. The question that is asked of them is, by when they had placed them in the center, I like that too, they were in the middle and they were surrounded by these people. It says that uh, when they put them in the center, by what power or in what name, by what authority have you done this? And I want you to notice the courage that takes place here as we're persecuted and, and, gr- and greeted with hostility. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where it all starts. The control, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the dangers we face when confronted by hostile opposition is not from the outer enemy, but from the enemy within. That is our own sinful nature that would, if we allowed it to, respond in an ungodly way. I don't know about you, but somebody gets in my face, my sin nature says, get right back in their face. Somebody taps me on the chest, my sin nature says, you know, counter that with the right cross side of the head. You know, it's just, it's kind of, I don't know what it, maybe it's upbringing. I don't know. Could have been the environment. No, maybe it's just sin nature. You know what I mean? And, and uh, the environment kind of, you know, fertilized it. But, but the bottom line is that when somebody gets in my face or opposes me, my natural sinful response is to do the same thing. But Peter, filled with the Spirit. You know, and there's a lot of confusion about that, you know. Jesus said this. He said in Luke 12, 11 through 12, talking to his apostles, he said that the, Jesus told them, he says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, don't be anxious or worried about how or what you should speak in your defense or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit means you're just yielding to God and His presence in your life. If you've come to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you and, and, and He will tell you what to say at that moment of persecution or anger or hostility. All you need to be doing is walking in obedience with God on a regular basis and you're filled with the Spirit and you say, and, you know, a very quick prayer, Lord, t- tell me what to say. Tell me how to respond. What, 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 what do you want me to say? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to address them 
Jesus is our ultimate example. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you know, the, the Bible says that when Jesus was persecuted, when he was tried, it says that he did not in any way answer insult for insult. When he was on the cross and they said, hey, you, you know, if you're really the Savior, why don't you save yourself and save us too? Or, hey, you, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you get off the cross? I mean, come on. You're going around telling everybody to put their faith and trust in you and you can't even save yourself. And the Bible records that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He never returned insult for insult. He never, when he was arrested and they grabbed him and, 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 they, and they took him to, took him to try him, he says that all he had to do was call down, you know, to call out to his father and it send legions of angels from heaven. But this was God's plan from the very beginning to redeem mankind. So when they arrested him, they, they, they couldn't have arrested him unless God allowed that to take place. Think of how stupid they were. It's like, you go get him. No, man, I saw him raise dead people. No, you go get him. Man, I saw him open the eyes of blind people. No, you go get him. No, you go get him. But they were so stupid, they all went to get him. And then when they got him, Peter pulled out a sword, cut a guy's ear off, and if it's not enough, Jesus healed, put the guy's ear back on his head. And at that point, you're thinking, I think I should let him go. You take over. But the pride of man says, man, I don't care what the evidence is, what the signs are, I'm like, I'm a lunatic. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, notice what it says, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be made known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name, the authority of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, by this, man, this, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. And he turns to Scripture and he reminds them, he is the stone which, you, which was rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the very cornerstone. What he was saying is that this prophecy is fulfilled within your very hearing. Aren't you listening to the Spirit of God as He convicts you of truth? And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Their confrontation that took place was one of, hey, you know what? And I love what I see here, the submission of godly people as they're confronted by hostile audience that they didn't strike back that they used Jesus as their example. They didn't yell back insult for insult or fist for fist or punch for punch or sword for sword. The Bible is filled with godly people who had preached the Word of God and as they were arrested went and submitted to the authority. And the reason that they did it, think about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Peter and John. And as we go through the book of Acts, all these men who had preached the gospel, preached the truth of the word of God. And as they were arrested, not one of them resisted arrest. And the reason is very simple. Because they were confident that God was in absolute control. And not only that, but they began to realize that as they got arrested, it gave them a new audience to share the truth with. They were inside prisons meeting with people that they never would have met if they hadn't got arrested. So no matter where they were, God took them. There was an audience that God brought to them to hear the truth that salvation is in no other name. That the name of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven of your sin. And yet we all fight and resist that. Instead of allowing God to lead us to wherever it is that He's taking us because there's new people that He wants us to share with. Can you imagine being chained to Peter or John or Paul? Hey, how was your day? By the way, have you been thinking about the sin thing I've been talking to you about? Yes. 
Well, you know, I, well, you're back and here goes lesson number two. Okay. Now, we, we covered sin yesterday. We're going to cover judgment today. I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, it, it, it would never happen otherwise. They didn't resist it. They submitted because they knew God was in control. They, God's plan was working out just as God thought it would and just as God planned it to. And the conviction of it is very simple. He says to them, you know, basically saying they confronted him in a very loving way. He didn't sacrifice truth at all. He said, hey, by the way, I just want to remind you, you killed him. And uh, God raised him up. You know, he didn't, he wasn't yelling at him, he wasn't raising his voice and said, oh, and by the way, you also fulfilled scripture when you did it. Remember in Psalm 118, the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, became the very cornerstone. And there is no salvation in anybody else. Now, notice this, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood, there we go again, they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling at this. It's like, what is going on? This is unbelievable. These guys are fishermen. These guys are businessmen. See, I love being in ministry as, a, as a, what, what many call a lay person. That means that, you know, uh, you know the, the, the thing is, when I go anywhere that I go and they find out you're a, con- you know, you're a contractor? You're in the construction industry? Yeah? He goes, well, then why do you talk so much about Jesus? Or, or, or why, do you, you know, why do you do what you do? It's like, you know, because the attitude is that, you know, people that are in, you know, the religious field as professionals are paid to be good. And I just tell everybody that I meet, hey, I'm good for nothing. You know, it's a freebie. It's on the house, you know. And, and, and it works out great because people are like, you know what, I don't understand. I mean, see, I mean, we expect, quote, religious people to talk about God, but we don't expect a contractor or a truck driver or a plumber or a housewife or an accountant or a lawyer or what, what do you do? They don't expect that from you either. But it's still expected of you by God. Because he sends us out into the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world. We've been called from the world. But we've got a job to do in the world while we're still here. And that job is to make sure that people know there's no other way to get to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ the Lord. Period. No other way. Any other way is going to lead you to hell. For broad is the way that leads to destruction, but enter by the narrow gate. The confrontation that took place was in a very submissive, gentle manner filled with the Holy Spirit, one filled with truth. They were marveling at what took place. Uh, They were convicted by what took place. They saw the man who had been healed standing with them. I love that too, by the way. Remember I said, now that this man could stand, everybody knew where he stood. Peter and John were arrested and that guy stood there right with them. Say, hey, you know what? You're arresting these guys, but let me tell you something. (laughs) These guys are good in my book. They're okay by me. I had walked for 40 years, never walked in my life, and you know what? And by the name of Jesus, Jesus through them healed me, and these guys are okay by me. So if you're taking them, you take me too, because everything they're telling you, I agree with. I say amen, I concur, I'm with them. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say. I love that. They had nothing to say. But do you think that would keep them from saying something? No. Let me just encourage you. Sometimes in life, when you're confronted with the truth and you're guilty and you're busted, the best thing to do then is don't say anything else other than, you're right, I'm wrong, will you forgive me? See, when God convicts us of sin in our life, it's time to just say, 
you're right, Lord. I'm wrong. What I did was wrong. I'm guilty. I ask you to forgive me. And I just thank God that you are faithful when I'm faithless. I just thank you that you say if you confess your sins that you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from it. Lord, thank you for that. But, verse 15, but they didn't shut up. And they didn't ask for forgiveness. And they weren't open to truth. It says, but when they ordered them to go outside of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? And what are we going to do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, man, the word was spreading, and we cannot deny it. Say, man, what are we going to say? The guy's standing right here. We can't deny that it didn't happen. See, they denied that Jesus rose from the dead. The problem that they had was that Jesus appeared and they had 500 witnesses at one point. The disciples saw him and spent 40 days with him. That Jesus, you know, many people saw Jesus after his resurrection and they couldn't deny that he wasn't raised from the dead because there were too many people that saw him and spent time with him and talked to him and spoke with him and learned from him. They couldn't deny that anymore either. And they couldn't deny that the guy wasn't healed because he was standing there jumping around, I could just see him. I don't even think he was standing. I mean, I think that he was so excited to be standing that he was like, you know, like a little kid. He was like, I'm with these guys. You know, there's no, he wasn't just standing there like this. If you never walked, you ain't going to be like this. You're going to be like using these babies. He went for a run that afternoon. You know that. All right, let's wind all this up. Notice the consequences. Number one, when we preach the truth, there are going to be people who are amazed. There are going to be people who are amazed. And I'll tell you what, all you've got to do is tell them where God brought you from. See, people that see me today, they're not amazed by it. They just think that this is the way I've always been. But you start telling them about what you were like and the things that you used to do and how you came to faith in Christ and how He changed your life to where you are today they're going to be amazed that such transformation could take place in your life. They may not believe it. They may not accept it. They may not want to hear it. But you know what? They're going to be amazed by it. The attempt is to shut them up. Well, you know, we've got to shut them up somehow. Notice what he says. What are we going to do with these guys? But in order that it may not spread any further than this, man, we've got to have some damage control here. No further than this. Let's warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. Can we all agree on that? It's like, yeah, I mean, we've got to start somewhere. So they summoned them back in and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. All right. We're going to cut you a deal this time. You realize you're in big trouble here. We could beat you. We could throw you in prison. We may even drum up a charge to kill you because, you know, by the way, you know, we did that with Jesus and you saw that, so you know how evil we can be. So we're just going to cut you a deal. And we're going to cut you a deal and the deal is basically this. Just stop doing what you're doing and it'll all be all right. You know what's amazing to me? How many churches today have bought into that? Let's not preach the Word of God any longer because it's too offensive. It offends people. You know, and if you're going to, then let's just work out a deal. You know, try to cut out this part, that part, and the other part. Just kind of condense it to the part that people like. Or we're going to shut you up altogether. We'll find some way that we don't have to listen to you preach the Word of God. 
We'll do it in some way. I, I got a postcard this week. This is, this is amazing to me. It's from a, a, a local church. I'm not going to name names because that's not important. But I was kind of caught with, um, with uh, <laughs> the, the new 9 o'clock Sunday morning service, which starts next week on Easter. It's 9 o'clock. It's called the short service. Let's, now, this, this is it. This is right. It's amazing to me. For those with busy schedules, 45 minutes guaranteed. Or what? Return your tithe? I mean, <laughs> or what? What's the, what's the deal, you know? It's like, I, I just go, this is amazing to me. It's, it's for people that are busy. You know, like, no, you know like, like none of us are. Well, let's see, what's the other option? Well, the other option is the full-length service for those who desire more music and more fellowship. You know what's amazing to me is that it's never for those who desire to hear more of God's Word and His truth. It's always for those who want more music, more hanging out with each other time. That one's 75 minutes. No guarantees. I just kind of go, you know what? Isn't that just pathetic? But it's the world that we live in. That's how we market the church to the world. We need to just tell people God's truth. In love. Because if we don't, we're as unloving as you can get. How we can allow anybody we say we love not to hear the truth of God's message and realize that they'll spend an eternity in hell is just amazing to me. The application is, hey, you know what? If we're going to be used by God, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and what we have heard. How about you? Is that true? You can't stop speaking about what you have seen God do in your life through Christ and what you have heard from the Word of God? Is that really true? Man, I can't stop speaking what I have seen and what I have heard. I cannot stop speaking what God has done through Jesus Christ. He has brought me from darkness into light. He has taken me from being ignorant of God's truth to revealing all of it to me. He has taken me from not knowing what would happen to me when I die to being confident that when I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord because of faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. How can you not be excited about that? We cannot stop speaking that which we have heard and that which we have seen. I'll tell you what, when I see people come to faith in Christ and I see what God does in their life, you know what, that's no less miraculous than watching a lame guy that never walked get up and walk after 40 years. When I see somebody come to faith in Christ that's been shaking their fist in the face of God for years, never wanting anything to do with them, who bends the knee, so to speak, and humbles their heart and believes and receives Christ as their Savior, that, that's no less of a miracle to me than Jesus raising Lazarus out of the grave. That's an incredible miracle of God. The animosity that we will face will be continual. Stop being surprised by it. Accept it. Expect it. Jesus was persecuted and He said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. And the last thing is having an attitude. And the attitude is, notice this, says, and when they had threatened them further, they let them go. They couldn't find a basis to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God. How can you shut people up who are praising God for what's taking place in their life? 
5,000 people have now come to faith in Jesus as the Savior. And they were going around telling everybody who would listen. They were praising God, glorifying God, worshiping God for the life-changing experience that had taken place. They couldn't help it. And their attitude was one of praise and joy. In closing, not many of us want to experience opposition as we tell others about Jesus, God's only way to heaven. You know, in some ways, we're surprised by it because stop and think about what we're telling them. Hey, listen, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to be judged for sin. You can be forgiven by God. You can spend an eternity in heaven. We can spend an eternity together by simply repenting and turning from sin and turning to God and throwing yourself upon His mercy and believing in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. The naive part of me says, who wouldn't want to hear that? The reality of Scripture says there's a lot of people that don't want to hear that because of the pride of man, the sinful heart of man that doesn't want to hear God's truth. They want to do it their way, not God's way. They want to have it on their terms, not God's terms. And then I remember there was a day when people came to me and I was at the same point. Hey, that's good for you, but I'm not interested. Have a nice day. Hey, that's nice. Take a hike. Get lost. Shut up. And so there's always that point. And so I just thank God that that didn't keep people from continuing to come to me and sharing the truth of God's love with me. And I would hope that it doesn't stop any of us from continuing to be steadfast on sharing the message there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's messengers were always hated. From the prophets, to Jesus Himself, to the apostles, and to you and I. And by the way, that was God who called and said, Hey, preach it, brother. We, uh, we, we will be hated by the world. But you know what? But don't stop telling people about Jesus. Don't stop telling people about Jesus. When was the last time that you were hated for Jesus' sake? When was the last time you were hated for trying to warn another person that you love about the reality of sin and judgment and hell? You know what concerns me? That there's a whole bunch of us here today or listening to this that don't have a clue from experience what this passage is all about. You've never been hated by anybody because you've never shared the truth with anybody. And that's not, and that's not, and that's not acceptable to God. He has called us from darkness into light that we may proclaim His excellencies. How can we say we love people and allow them to be condemned for eternity in a place God calls hell? Expect the opposition. But for everyone who opposes and rejects, there will be those who God chooses to call to Himself through the message that we share. And that should keep us steadfast and immovable, sharing the message of God's love and His truth and warning the world and at the same time extending God's mercy and His grace. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we just thank You. We praise You for the truth of Your Word. And Lord, help us not to miss the obvious that we live in a world that will hate this message because of the exclusivity of it. 
We live in a world <clears throat> that wants to believe what it wants to believe and wants to do things on its own terms. And yet there's only one God and you are Him. There's only one plan of salvation and that's through Jesus Christ. For there's no other way to the Father but through Him. And Lord, we just thank You that You've revealed to us, those who have trusted in Christ, the truth of that message. And now we just pray that You would give us the courage and conviction through Your Spirit to go into the world and to warn others of sin and judgment and condemnation and to give them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that it's through grace, by grace through faith in Him and Him alone that one can find forgiveness and eternal life. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.